Lord God, you are so holy and we worship you. Every tongue is gonna profess how great you are and that you truly are Lord and Savior. And so Lord, we join together today and we just lift you up in this place. And God, I pray that you would be in every living room, in every home, where everyone is watching right now. God, I pray that your presence would be real, that people would sense that you are with them. And Lord, we come to you and we just magnify your name and we thank you for what a good, good God you are. And so Lord, I now lift up this message to you and I pray that you would use me. May I decrease, may you increase in me. And Lord, may the words that come out of my mouth penetrate into every heart that is listening. And God, I pray that you would confirm it. And as I tell the good story of who you are and the gift that you have given to us, Heavenly Father, I pray that it would go into every home again and it would just resonate with every single person listening. And so Lord, I know that I can't do that on my own, but through your Holy Spirit, you using me, Lord, I pray that you would use me now and that you would enter into every home as we celebrate this incredible wonderful day. And Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, happy Easter, everybody. We are so glad that you are with us. And I want to take just a moment in time and just and say thank you to the worship team. Thank you to Pastor Janelle and the five other churches that were represented in that worship set. I love the fact that we can come together as the body of Christ in this time and actually pull our resources, pull our teams together, and actually be unified regionally. Again, six churches involved in this, and I love the fact that that worship set was not just at Shine Church, but at three other churches in particular. They're showing that exact same worship set this weekend, and what an incredible uh, thing for the body of Christ to just come together and be unified. And so I want to say thank you to Pastor Janelle because she has such a heart um, for working with other churches, and I just love that about her. And so uh, thank you to Pastor Janelle, and thank you uh, for putting that worship set together, and I hope that it was a blessing for all of you that are at home. Hey, um, as I said, happy Easter, happy Resurrection Day. Man, what an incredible time to celebrate the goodness of our Lord and Savior. And uh, I really believe that I have a message uh, that is going to pertain to uh, just kind of like all facets of where you are. Maybe you don't know where you stand with God. I believe that God has something for you today. Or maybe you have been walking with the Lord for many years. I believe God has something for you today. But before I jump into that message, uh, one of the things that my wife Kim and I have been doing just to kind of cope with everything that has been going on is we have been going online from time to time. My wife uh, in particular, she will look through uh, the memes that are happening uh, right now. And she will be sitting in the living room and we'll just be looking uh, at, at these things. And all of a sudden she will just start laughing out loud. And so I wanted to share a few of those. Um, the first one has to do particular with Easter. Um, this one says, wolf in peeps clothing. And I love what the little peep is saying there. Uh, that guy seems strange to you. I think that's an awesome little meme. The next one, how about this one? For $3.99, you can download an app to find all of them. 
And I know many of you are doing your own uh, Easter egg hunt and your own houses. I hope that you remember where you put them all because uh, if you use real eggs, um, they get a little smelly if you can't find them all. <laughs> How about this one? So I was like, I'm the son of God. And they were like, no way. And I was like, Yahweh. That one's good. Come on, you're laughing at home, right? Okay, then we have the Last Supper. Now, this is the Last Supper uh, previous to the whole stay at home, the whole coronavirus thing. Um, Jesus comes into a restaurant, says, a table for 26, please. The maitre d' says, uh, there's only 13 of you. And Jesus says, yeah, but we're all going to sit on the same side of the table. I love that one. And then the final one with the Last Supper is really what we're doing right now. Jesus practicing social distancing. He's got the Last Supper going on there. And then we have all the disciples uh, on a Zoom call right there in all the little windows. Uh, man, is that not what we are doing right now? I, don't, I can't tell you how many Zoom calls that I have been on in the last two to three weeks. It's just been amazing. Hey, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about actually the Last Supper. I want to start my message uh, from that place in Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 12. It says this, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, I want you to listen to this, when the Passover lamb was to be sacrificed, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? I'm going to pick up the story in Matthew's account, chapter 26, verse 18. He answered, go into the city to a certain man and tell him that the teacher says, my time is near. I will keep the Passover with my disciples at your house. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. Um, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page, and I'm not sure everybody's fully aware that when we talk about the Last Supper, what is actually taking place is that Jesus is taking his disciples and celebrating the Passover feast with them. You can clearly see a Passover lamb had to be sacrificed for this meal. And the disciples were very intentional about actually asking him, how do you want us to set this up? Where do you want us to set this up. And Jesus had a plan in place and he gave it to them. They followed through with the plan and they were sitting celebrating this feast, this Passover feast together when the story of Easter that we commonly celebrate and that we commonly teach on Easter weekend um, starts. And so I want you to get the picture of this. Um, the Last Supper is the Passover. And I'm not sure too many people are, are really familiar with that, that concept. And so um, with all of the stuff that's been going on and, and us having to stay at home, one of the things that I did uh, just over two weeks ago, actually, is I challenged people, hey, since we're at home and we, some of us have extra time, maybe what we should do is actually challenge ourselves to read through the Bible in 60 days. And so we started that reading, again, it was over two weeks ago, and so about two, two weeks ago, we get into the story of Exodus, and we actually read about the Passover. And so I want to talk a little bit about the Passover. Let me set it up. Okay, we have Abraham. God tells Abraham to leave his family and go into this land, and says that all of this land will be, I will give to you and your descendants. Your descendants will, out, will, will be like the stars in the sky. Now, at this time, Abraham is old, 
and has no kids. But we know the story. They end up having a son, Isaac. Isaac then has Jacob, who is also referred to as Israel. And then Israel has 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. Now he is the 11th of 12. And if you know the story, he gets sold by his brothers into slavery. He ends up working for a master that ends up, he ends up getting promoted there, but then gets accused falsely and ends up in jail. Now, while he's in jail, he uh, interprets a couple dreams, and a couple years later, actually, one of the people that he interprets the dream for tells Pharaoh, hey, I know this guy that can interpret dreams, and so he is called by Pharaoh to come in and interpret a dream. The story is about seven years of uh, just plenty and then seven years of famine. And so Joseph puts a plan in place. The Pharaoh loves it. He agrees with it. And he says, okay, I'm going to make you second in charge of all of Egypt. And so his father thinks he has died and the famine comes and his brothers are told by his dad, go get food for us. So they come to Egypt. Um, and as you, many of you know the story, um, he, rec- he gets to meet with his brothers and ultimately brings his entire family. Now, here's what I want you to understand, that when he brings the entire family to Egypt, there are 70 members of Abraham's family, basically. The descendants of Abraham were 70. Now, several hundred years pass, and obviously, Joseph dies. The Pharaoh that he worked with dies. Another Pharaoh comes in and has no idea about what Joseph and the Israelites did. And so he puts the Israelites into slavery. And this goes on for many, many years. They must have still had a relationship with God, though, because at some point they realized, man, we got to get, we, we need our Lord to, to, to pull us out of this. And they cry out to God. And so God actually calls Moses to go in and to set his people free. And so Moses, as you guys know the story, goes into Pharaoh and he, and he says, hey, let my people go. Let my people go. How many of you right now during this whole thing is, let me go, please. I want to leave my house. I want to do anything I can do. Okay, well, that's the Israelites times so many more times. This has only been three weeks, right? Um, this is hundreds of years of slavery. And Moses comes and says, let my people go. And uh, as the story goes, he begins to give plague after plague after plague, trying to convince Pharaoh. The word of God says that Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. And it gets to the place where um, Moses and Aaron then come up to Pharaoh and basically say, hey, listen, the final plague is coming. And that's what I want to read to you because this is where we get Passover from. In Exodus chapter 12, it says, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year old males. And listen to this, without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. This is how you are to eat it. You're to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. See, what they didn't know is that when this took place, man, the Egyptians were going to be like, get out of here. They were going to want them to leave right away. And God was even preparing them right there in the middle of that by saying, be ready to go. 
On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Pick it up a little bit later, verse 21, and it says, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. <clears throat> Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top of the both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. None of you should go out of the door of your house. Uh, it sounds very familiar. And as I was reading through this in the whole challenge for Bible in 60 Days, I actually found myself thinking, man, that is exactly where we're at. We can't leave our house. We're being told not to leave our house. That's what God told the Israelites, don't leave your house. And when the Lord goes through the land to strike the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. And then it says, and this day will be a memorial for you and you are to celebrate it as a feast to the Lord, as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Now, why do I take the time to go into that? Because I want you to realize that when Jesus got with the disciples, they were celebrating this event that took place, where the blood was shed, where a lamb was sacrificed so that the angel of death would pass over their house. When every <clears throat> the firstborn person and animal otherwise was killed. And so Jesus is sitting with his disciples at the Last Supper. And this is oftentimes where we as Christians, we pick up the story is at the Last Supper and we talk about the good news of Easter. Um, but I want to tell you, um, Easter wouldn't happen without the Passover. And the Passover actually pointed to Easter. And I think we need to get that so that we can get the fullness of what God has for us. Because church, here's ultimately uh, what I put in my notes. Jesus became the ultimate Passover lamb. He became the ultimate Passover lamb so that we wouldn't have to do what they were doing. You know, from what I could study out, it's something somewhere between 1,450 years and 2,500 years between that first Passover and the Last Supper. There's some discrepancy, but think about that. 1,450 times they celebrated this and had all the sacrifices and did all of those things. And when Jesus had this Last Supper, I wonder if he was thinking, man, this is it. This is the last one that will ever have to be done this way. Man, that is just such a powerful thought when you think about it. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Listen to that. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See church, the entire Bible is actually pointing to this aspect right here, that Jesus is the Passover lamb, that he lived a life without blemish, without defect. And just like the Israelites, before they were set free from Egypt, had to use a lamb without defect, Jesus was a human that had no sin 
in him. He was without defect. And because of that, he could become that ultimate Passover lamb for us. And what I love about this is it actually really shows God's heart for you and I. And I really felt like what God wanted me to share for this Easter weekend is his heart. And so there's three things that I think God really wants you to comprehend, understand, and grab a hold of. And I pray that you would listen to me right now. I know some of you are probably sitting with family members. You're watching this because they've asked you to watch it. I'm telling you, this may change your life forever if you will pay attention and to listen um, to this message because I think there's such life in this. And so please, don't tune me out right now. Listen to how um, the Father has a heart for you, what his heart is for you. I think there's three things. The first one is this. Your father does not want you to be a slave to sin. Your father does not want you to be a slave to sin. Just like the Egyptian, when the Egyptians had the Israelites, um, they called out to God and God saw that. The Bible says he remembered them and said, you know what, I, I, my heart is breaking for them. I want to pull them out of this slavery. Hey, guess what? He wants to pull you out of slavery as well. Romans 6, 17 and 18 says, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is our Father's heart, is that we would be set free from sin. We were all born into sin. We all were we were all born into a fallen nature. And I, let me prove that to you. You can put any two two-year-olds together and you don't have to teach them to steal the toys from one another and to say these wonderful words, uh, mine, mine, mine. You don't have to teach that. It just happens. It's because we were born into a sinful and a fallen world. But that's not the world that our Father wants us to live in, though. And there is freedom from that slavery that he wants, and I'll get to that in just a minute, but he does not want us to be slaves to that fallen nature. And so God's heart for you is to understand this. And just like when he pulled Israel out of Egypt, he wants you to get a hold of this and understand that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal everlasting life. God's heart is for you. He is for you. You know what? He actually created you. He knew you in your mother's womb. He knows the number of hair on your head. The word of God says he has so many plans and purposes for you that you can't even comprehend them. God doesn't want you to be bound by the things that hinder us, whether it's fits of rage or envy or jealousy or things that we get addicted to or behaviors that, that we respond to people in. I, man, he doesn't want us to be enslaved by those things. He wants to set us free. That's his heart, and that's ultimately why Jesus came as the Passover lamb, so we could be set free from the sin. The second thing that I wanna share with you, God's heart for us, is that he doesn't want you to be burdened by religion. Now, I find it very interesting that when the Israelites are pulled out of Egypt, they go into the desert, they're in there for 40 years, then they go into the promised land, and right before they go into the promised land, 
God speaks to Moses and gives him the law. Now, this is the law that we now know had 613 different things that people had to do. And as we read through the Old Testament, we see time after time after time that the Israelites could not keep the law. They tried and then they fell. They tried and then they fell. They tried and then they went to other gods. They tried, they just could not keep this. And I believe that God was using all of that to once again point to this ultimate Passover lamb. He wanted us to understand that in our own ability, we cannot do this. We can't be good enough. We can't strive and earn God's favor. We have to come to an understanding that we have it because of who he is and not because of who we are. He doesn't want to be, he doesn't want us to, to be bound in religion. I, I find it very interesting that when somebody actually comprehends and grabs a hold of the point, number one, which is um, he doesn't want you to be bound or slave to sin. What then people oftentimes do is they ask Jesus to come into their life and they swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and all of a sudden they say, okay, you know what? God died for me, so I better do a bunch of stuff for him. And then I just don't think that that is what God wants for us. As a matter of fact, in Ephesians it says this, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourself, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It's not about what we can do. And so I think, I, I find myself wondering, does, does God's heart grieve? Does he, does he mourn a little bit when we go from a place where we're living in the fallen nature and then all of a sudden we swing it all the way over to where then we feel like we have to do all these things? And I know some religions, some denominations, some belief systems actually teach that you have to do this and you have to do A, B, C, and then God will love you. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the Bible that I read. That's not the father that I understand. The father that I know says, hey, it's not about anything that you can do. It's solely about what Jesus did for you. It's all about this ultimate Passover lamb that gave his life for you so that you could have that life, the abundant life. Jesus, said, Jesus came and said, I came, I came to give abundant life. And he doesn't want us to just have a, you know, okay, I've got myself. No, he wants us to have life. He wants us to be, hey, it's Easter. Yeah! He wants us to be excited about him and what he has done for us. Not so that we can feel burdened by a bunch of religious things. Many of you know my testimony, but the thing that grabbed a hold of my heart was somebody came along and said, God doesn't want religion from you. He wants relationship. And I want to tell you right now, God doesn't want religion from you. He wants relationship, which actually brings me to my third thing that I want to share. God's heart for you today. The third one is this. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know who you are in him. And he wants you to know the freedom and life that comes from understanding these things. Galatians 5 Verse one says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Church, do you hear it? 
He doesn't want us to be bound by the yoke of slavery. He doesn't want us to be burdened by all these rules and regulations. He wants us to understand the freedom that comes in having a relationship with him. It's why he died. It's why he said yes to the mission. Will you be the ultimate Passover lamb? It's because he understood it would open the, open the door for us to understand how God sees us, who we are in him, and to get that freedom. First John 5 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. And church, I want you to listen to me. Jesus Christ walked and talked on this planet. There's very little debate about that. Historians will say, yes, he walked on this planet. And when he walked on this planet, he said some incredibly bold things. And one of the things that he said is, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father except through me. And I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to go to God with that. But here's what I'm telling you. Jesus is the way to the Father. And as this verse says, Whomever, whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. If you are listening to me right now, and there's not a joy or an excitement about life, even in the middle of this whole stay-at-home thing, if there's not a joy and an excitement about it, then I'm, I'm telling you, you're missing out. Because God created you and he has joy for you. He wants to give you life and it comes through his son, Jesus. And so go to him. You know, when we were talking about this as a teaching team, um, Pastor DJ actually brought this, this point up. He said, it's very interesting uh, when you're thinking about Passover and what we're going through. Um, in both situations, people were stuck in their homes. They were stuck in their homes. But then he said, the blood of the lamb is what makes the difference. The blood of the lamb is what makes the difference. And I can't tell you how many people that have Jesus in their hearts, that have asked Jesus to come into their lives, have told us when we've called them and said, you know what? I just feel the presence of God, the peace of God in my life, and he is just giving me peace in the middle of this. But then on the flip side, you watch the news and you hear different reports and you can see the anxiety and the fear that other people who maybe don't know Jesus, they're not having life in the middle of this. Whereas people who truly understand who Jesus is, they are having life. They do have a life. Man, I hope that you grab a hold of that. I hope you understand that. First John 5, 19 and 20, a little bit later right there, it says, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and is giving us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So it's not just one scripture that says it. There's many scriptures that says, hey, Jesus is the way, he's the truth and the life. And God's heart is that you wouldn't be slave to sin or fallen world, that you wouldn't be burdened by rules and regulation, but that you would understand your father and how he sees you and the freedom that comes from that. You know, there, uh, 
there's a poll that was done March 31st. And the poll uh, was done by McLaughlin Associates, and it basically says this. 44% of Americans say that they believe that the coronavirus and the resulting economic meltdown is a wake-up call for us to turn back to faith in God. Now, if that poll is true, that means that almost half of America is seeing this as an opportunity to actually turn their focus away from all of the things in this world and turn the focus to God. I want to say something to you, and I got, I got this again from the teaching team. Uh, Janelle, we were talking again about Passover and what's going on, and she just said this really quick statement. I thought, oh, that was so good. She said, you know what? We are responsible for our own household. And in both situations, each household was responsible for putting the blood on the doorposts. And I come to you right now, and it's kind of interesting speaking to a room that really has no one in it because it's going into the living room this weekend of every house and every person listening. But here's, here's what's very interesting to me on that. You get to wrestle with this message right now in your own house. And I want to encourage you, take this message to heart and understand that God cares for you and he loves you. And I believe with all of my heart, what I am telling you is real and it is true. And if you will ask Jesus to come in and be a part of your life, man, he will, he will give you peace that goes beyond understanding. He will come in and touch your life in ways that you can't even fathom. And so don't listen to this thinking about somebody else. Listen to this message and grab a hold of it for you and your house. My wife, as I was sharing just some of this, she just reminded me of the scripture that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I pray that that would be your prayer. And so I just want to finish by reading a little section in Hebrews. Hebrews, by the way, is an amazing book to be reading during this time. I would encourage you, um, if you're not, uh, if you didn't jump in on the challenge on reading the Bible in 60 days, uh, then maybe jump into this challenge. It's a lot easier to do. But read through Hebrews. Read through the 13 chapters of the book of Hebrews because there's so much about Jesus, this ultimate Passover that's in there. And, and I believe that it'll give you some understanding. But let me read just a few verses. Hebrews 1, it starts by saying this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. I'm gonna stop there real quick because when it says he's the exact representation of his being, it means to me that he's willing to die for you and that's our father's heart. He's willing to give it all for you because he is for you. It says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. That's how it starts the book of Hebrews. And then it goes on and tells all kinds of wonderful things. But then I'm going to read um, out of um, my Bible, Hebrews 10. And here's what I want you to do. We don't have the verse on the screen. I, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to actually receive this as a prayer. Um, to the conclusion of this message. Take this in, listen to these words, and just ask God, 
is this true between you and I? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Thank you, Jesus. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Which means you don't have to strive. God will actually write that right into your conscience, into your minds, into your hearts. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And when these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the, the fact that you so loved us and cared for us that you sent your son to be the ultimate Passover lamb for us. God, I thank you that we don't have to bring a new sacrifice each and every year. But Lord, through what you did through Jesus, God, you have given us the freedom from this fallen nature You've given us the light yoke and the easy burden that comes from following Jesus and not the heavy load from having to do and follow certain laws and regulations. And Lord, ultimately, you have given us an opportunity to be able to directly have communication and relationship with you so that we can understand who we are in you. And Lord, we thank you so much for this ultimate Passover lamb that you gave to us in Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Church, I want you to know that um, the greatest moment in my life was when I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. And the people that I um, talked with this week, uh, they would agree it was one the mo biggest moment in their life. And so uh, we actually have done something. We want you to respond to this message. And in just a minute, we're going to give you a chance to. But before that, we, want, we wanted you to hear the different ways that our staff had that moment in time. And then after that, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond as well. So please check this out. Hey, as I mentioned in the message, I had a friend come to me and say, God doesn't want religion from you, but he wants relationship and at that time I said okay Jesus if that's true this is what I want and I invited him into my heart 
You know, I grew up with faithful praying mom and grandma. And so when I was 20, I was tired of living in the world and for love and acceptance. And on Valentine's Day, 1992, I accepted Jesus into my heart and made him the Lord of my life. When I was five years old, I made a commitment to love Jesus with all my heart. But uh, through time, I just strayed away from that. And when I was 17 years old, I became pregnant. And at that time in my life, I realized I needed change. And I wept before the Lord, just him and I. And at that moment, it was like he accepted me like not a day had passed. I remember being four or five years old and kneeling at a pew in, a, in our church with my mom and accepting Jesus into my heart. I was a college student. I was just trying to fit in. Um, I remember I was wearing a toga, sitting on a hospital floor. And that's when God really defined for me um, the life he had before me. Um, and fitting in what that was. So uh, God gave me peace and hope right there in that moment um, for the life that he wanted for me. I grew up in the church, um, but also in a very abusive, volatile home. Um, and when I was a young child, I found that God was the ultimate father um, to me. Um, and he never left and he always cared about me and had good intentions for me. Um, and so I asked him into my heart. There was an altar call at an Easter crusade that I attended when I was five. And it was the first time that I recognized my need for Jesus and just realized I couldn't go a day without him. And I knew Jesus as a little girl as well, um, but you know, didn't follow that path into my teenage years. And when Darren and I were dating, when we were around 20 years old, a gentleman had invited him to their church to play drums. And um, shortly after that, um, we decided to keep, you know, dedicate our lives to Jesus. I grew up in a loving Christian home, but didn't surrender my life to Jesus till I was 17. We went to church faithfully every weekend. And for several months, I wanted so desperately to give my heart to the Lord, but I was under bondage of sin, of feeling like I had, I, I wasn't good enough and Jesus wouldn't accept me. And finally one day the pastor gave an altar call and I couldn't take it anymore. I had to have Jesus. So I raised my hand and went up to the front and I could see the Lord deliver me from the lies of the enemy that had held me back from receiving him into my life. And I'll never forget that day and I've never been the same since. I grew up in a Christian home and had asked Jesus into my heart uh, actually August 9th of 1983 um, but uh, it was always mom and dad's religion and when I was about 15 years old um, God just really started getting a hold of my heart and I recognized that I didn't want just religion but that I wanted to have a true relationship with him and see him as my friend yeah, being raised in a Christian home, I always thought that I knew the love of Jesus and had that in me and I thought it was genuine and it really wasn't until I was a teenager and I went on a mission trip to Thailand and I was in an orphanage and I was sharing the love of Jesus and the hope that Jesus brings with these, these orphans and it became so real to me in that moment how much Jesus did and loved me and gave me hope. When I think back to when I uh, first met the Lord, it was in 1985, I was alone in my apartment, and the reality of his kindness is what draws us to a place to want to change. I couldn't believe that he was so much wanting to love me and be kind to me when I finally said, you know what, Lord, I believe that. I, uh, I accepted him into my life and changed me forever. 
I was born in Hawaii and I went to a Buddhist preschool and um, my parents would, my mom would let um, the Jehovah Witness come and read to us every week from the Bible. So I learned my Bible stories through that. And then at the age of 11, I um, stepped foot in the church for the first time. <clears throat> and um, never heard the gospel, never knew about Jesus. Um, I remember a friend of my mom um, invited us to go to church. She said, I'll take your kids to church. And um, she drove us every Sunday. And one Sunday she said, do you want to know Jesus? And she pulled over to the side of the road and we prayed the prayer to accept Jesus into our heart. And I was 13. And I realized that God was pursuing me all my life from that moment on. And the rest is history from then. So I was four years old and I first responded to an altar call by my dad. He actually, I was tugging on his suit coat and he thought I was going to ask for a nickel to go get some candy at the corner store. But truly it wasn't until my teenage years when I found myself um, more aware of my own sin, but trying to impress God and trying to earn my salvation. In my senior year of high school, there was a teacher named Judy McCurl and she just showed love and demonstrated freedom in Christ and not trying to earn things legalistically or trying to get right with God in our own effort, but just that she was accepted and loved and I was accepted and loved. And that began a process that actually took several years for me to lay down my own efforts and truly just embrace everything that Jesus has done and just live in that freedom and that life. We're so thankful that you took the time to be with us this weekend. You know, if in hearing the stories of how God has touched each of us, struck a chord in you, or perhaps in hearing God's heart for you through his word this weekend, we want you to know that God's desire is to do it again and to do it in your life. And if you want to step into that complete freedom and life that Jesus came to bring, I invite you to pray with me right now. Father, I want your salvation. I need your life. I don't want to be stuck in sin anymore. And I don't want to go through the motions of trying to earn and be good enough when I know I could never be. I thank you for the work that you've done and I put my faith and my trust completely in the work of Jesus for me. I receive your gift of salvation and I give you everything I am. Thank you for your life in Jesus' name, amen. Man, I believe that if you prayed that prayer and if you meant it with all your heart, that you've been born again of God's spirit, you've been made new in him. And we as pastors would love to help you take your first steps in learning how to walk in relationship with Jesus. So if you go to shinechurch.life slash talk, that's shinechurch.life slash T-A-L-K, you can let us know when would be a good time to reach you immediately after the service or at some point this week or in the future. We'd love to talk with you and help you in any way that we can. Thanks again for being with us. And Shine Church, all of you have a wonderful weekend of celebrating Jesus' victory over sin and death. Happy Easter, happy Resurrection Weekend to all of you. God bless you.